and welcome to Ground Control Parenting, a blog and now a podcast created for parents raising black and brown children. I'm the creator and your host, Carol Sutton Lewis. In this podcast series, I talk with some really interesting people about the job and the joy of parenting. Hard to believe, but here we are at the end of season two. Wow, that went fast. In season two, we talked with our great guests about using the valuable insights gained from how we were parented towards more effective parenting. In this season, we also talked about parenting issues that really concern us, especially during this long-lasting season of COVID-19. And we got such great advice to use now in this pandemic and beyond. Looking back over season two, three themes emerged that I'd like to share with you in this rewind. There were many, many more, but these three seem to resonate in several conversations. The first theme is education. We took that head-on this season, opening with a great conversation with Sal Khan, founder of the online teaching and learning platform Khan Academy. Sal walks us through the really important concept of subject mastery, which is the basis of his online learning platform. He explains why mastery is important. Let's say we're in a fifth grade math class. You know, the, the, the teacher will give a lesson on, say, dividing decimals. We'll do some homework. We, we might get some of it wrong, but there's not a lot of feedback in that process. After a couple of weeks, we take a quiz or a test. And let's say on that test, you get an 80%. I get a 70%. Even though that test has identified gaps, the class will move on to the next concept. It might be word problems with dividing decimals now. <laughs> Somehow expecting both of us to understand that next concept, even though we didn't know 20 or 30% of the previous one. And also, when I got that 70% on the dividing decimals, I'm given a C minus or a D or whatever 70% translates to, and it's kind of put into my grade book. And I'm taught to believe that that's who I am. I am a C student. I am a D student. Mm -hmm. Now I'm going to go to the next subject. And if I'm lucky, I'm going to be able to get a C or a D on that. And that process keeps going on. Those gaps keep accumulating. And then all of a sudden you get to an algebra class. And I think algebra is where, especially in math, where this happens, because it assumes to some degree that you've mastered all of this arithmetic beforehand, where the equation on the board involves dividing a decimal with an exponent and a negative number. And we just don't understand what's going on. It hasn't has nothing to do with uh, whether algebra is difficult or not. It's because we have these gaps from fourth grade, fifth grade, seventh grade that are very hard to address in an algebra class, but the algebra assumes that you have mastered it. And so this notion of mastery learning is instead of holding fixed when and how long you work on something, pretty much ensure a variable outcome. Those are those grades, A, B, C, D, F. Do it the other way around. Allow students, if they at a 70%, if they're an 80%, give them the incentive and the motivation and the awareness to say, hey, you're at a 70% for now. You're not going to forever be a D student in dividing decimals. Keep working on it. This is a really important thing. If you don't understand how to divide decimals, it's going to hold back the rest of your mathematical career. And 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 then if you work on it, then you you have a strong foundation that you can build from. Math Mastery was revisited in our conversation later this season, with David Coleman, CEO of the College Board, which administers the SAT and AP tests. David traces students' difficulties with the SAT back to their struggles with mastering math in their earlier years. He explains, The real problem that the SAT poses to some students is they've forgotten or never really mastered early math. (laughs) 
<laughs> the, the really hard part of the SAT for most kids is they're uncomfortable with math and they, they face, you know, unlike a math class in school where you just have to study the math that you just studied. In other words, like teacher taught you this this week and then you test it. When they face an mm-hmm. SAT, it's really looking across math that you've studied over the past few years and picking parts of it that are the most important, including like percentages. David believes parents should encourage children who are rusty with the early math to go back and focus on the basics. But I beg you to get your kids re-engaged in mathematics. And now mm-hmm. to get quite precise to you, what does that mean? That sounds heavy. The fact is anyone who's struggling in math often always miss something humble and early. The biggest mm-hmm. reason people can't do algebra is fractions. Fractions are early but hard. They sound simple, but they're not. Like if I were to ask you to divide two fractions right now, it's stressful. <laughs> you know what I mean? It just is. We None of us remember that stuff. But it's really powerful if you get really good at it. And you go back to those basics, they help you everywhere. He gives specific tips on steps to help your children re-engage, which I urge you to listen to this full episode to hear. Franklin Sermons, director of Miami's Perez Art Museum, talks with us about the value of art education and how art encourages children to think in ways different but no less valuable than the mastery prescribed by Sal Khan and David Coleman. Franklin urges parents to let children explore art freely to encourage them to get lost in the paintings, which develops and stretches their creative thinking. He describes his own experience with this. I I remember very clearly having an experience in front of a painting. And one of them, one of those early experiences was at the Met with, um, with Monet. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, it's, it almost sounds cliche, but, their depictions of water, their depictions of water lilies and flowers, but that's not really what it is, right? It's just blue paint for the most part with some dabs here and there that give you a sense of of something else or something that you've seen before. Um, I, I found that to be kind of clear, uh, a sort of clearing for the mind in a way like it's mm-hmm. not about how you got there it's not the logistics of the subway that brought you there mm-hmm. it's just it's just peaceful and a way of getting away and i think that obviously now that is more than ever one of the attributes of of simple art looking um that we do think about and we probably think about it a lot more and we might need it a lot more especially those of us who watch the news, um, you know, like we need spaces to clear our minds and get away. And I think art can be a really great tool um, in that. Franklin also talked about the power of art to inspire students thinking about social justice. He recalls how his own encounter with an artist's work while he was in high school helped him to understand this strong connection. In my mid-years of, of high school, I came to the work of Jean-Michel Basquiat. Mm-hmm. And that forever changed my, the way that I thought about art. And in part because of exactly what you just said. Because there was this element of it that was about justice. That was about contemporaneity. That was like the perfect corollary to say the music I was listening to, which at that moment probably would have been Public Enemy mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. Down Productions, who were talking about the same forms of liberation that were a part of Basquiat's paintings. Mm-hmm. Um, so art is, I mean, it's, 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 it's 
breadth is so large as to how we can form our own thoughts and and think critically about how we see the arts in our life and see the arts as having a presence, not only a presence, but a power and an ability to do something in our lives. The second theme we've seen in season two is one that is under-examined in our community, adoption. This season, we heard the amazing and heartwarming story of adoptive parents Clay Armbrister and his wife, Denise McGregor Armbrister. Clay and Denise were partnering with Clay's first wife, Cheryl, to raise the three children from Clay and Cheryl's marriage, two of whom are on the autistic spectrum. Clay and Denise then decided to adopt not one, but two children, a brother and a sister, when they were just out of their toddler years. We also heard from Caroline Clark, who was adopted at birth and at the age of 37 unexpectedly discovered her birth mother, who happened to be the daughter of Nat King Cole. In both instances, these families worked through complicated and challenging situations with care, acceptance, and understanding fueled by the power of love. Caroline explains how she encourages parents of adopted children to embrace complications that can arise over time. You know, what I say to parents, I I think the greatest gift in my situation, and it sounds cliche and it's overly simplified, but I really think if everyone comes to the table um, centering themselves in love and openness to embracing whatever, you know, I think if you adopt a child, you know they have a history that mm-hmm. that existed before you came into their life, even if it was just for hours. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. at some point in all likelihood, that history is going to resurface one way or another. Mm-hmm. And I think it is a, it is a fearful prospect. Um, you know, parenting is hard, right? Ground control is all about this. Ground control wouldn't exist if parenting was a breeze. It's one of the hardest things any of us ever does. And when you have to factor into that, that this child was not born to you and that they are made up of things, DNA and, and other, you know, nature over nurture things that you may not be aware of and you can't control. Um, you have to embrace all of that. You just mm-hmm. do. I mean, ideally you do, and you have to be open to, to however that manifests. And I think if you can just kind of keep yourself there through the years, it, it won't, be quite as difficult, but, but, you know, that's so much easier said than done. Um, in my case, all of the parties came to it with just a tremendous amount of grace and goodwill. The third and final theme is one that we heard consistently as well in season one, the importance of telling, honoring, and celebrating our history and our legacy with our children. Several guests talked about how important it was for them to share with their children the traditions and values they grew up with. Author Nancy Redd was inspired to write her children's book, Bedtime Bonnet, by conversations she had with her daughter about the women in her family's tradition of wearing bonnets to bed. Author and wellness expert Erica Reed created a new legacy of using food to promote health and healing for her children. Social and political activist Keisha Sutton James 
granddaughter of civil rights leader Percy E. Sutton, explained how she incorporated her family's history into American history in her discussions with her children. You know, I told them they didn't let us, people who look like us, you know, eat in certain restaurants. They made us sit in separate sections and all this stuff. And that because of the work of people like their great-grandfather, um, that has changed. You know, we're not all the way there, but that has changed. And, but I did talk about the fact that it has taken the work of people like our ancestors. And even if they weren't leaders, there are people who, you know, are soldiers in the movement, most African-Americans um, who've been in the country for, you know, more than a few generations have a story or have some connection to that progress. Mm -hmm. Um, And I talked to them about what our family's role was in that progress. As mothers raising children in the bubble of Hollywood stardom, Pauletta Washington and Latanya Richardson Jackson had to work hard to make sure that the lessons of their childhood could be passed on to their children. Pauletta explains the effort she had to make to ensure that her children were raised with the manners she was taught. I just felt that I had such a strong foundation as a child, and it was because of, of the, the principles that were taught to me from my parents, you know, the, 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 the normal thing, please, thank you. Mm-hmm. And because I was from the South, we said, yes, ma'am, no, sir, that, that type of thing. So that was the first thing. Mm-hmm. And I remember... I remember when uh, when uh, John David was in school and he because he was taught to say, yes, ma'am, yes, sir, to 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 the older people. That and he still does. And then his teacher came and the teacher told him, don't call me ma'am. Don't say miss or miss or don't say that to me. And, and so he was confused. And he came home one day and he was so upset because he didn't know because he knew that if I found out he was saying, Greg, to a 30 year old <laughs> man, you know, that I would be upset. So he came and he cried and he told me, so I marched up to that school. I said, I don't care if out of the 50 people you have in here and he's the only one that he must do that because that's what he's taught. And he was young because I really believe that the way you start is, is, is important, you know, mm-hmm. When actress Lynn Whitfield was quarantining earlier this year with her 88-year-old mother and her daughter, who's in her 20s, she had a golden opportunity to witness the three generations learning from each other. She explains. We actually sat and really spent time sharing. And I came to um, appreciate my mom in a whole other way and Grace Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. of her ability to see the importance. And even now, you know, she's an adult, but to see that one of the things that has been instilled in her, or maybe she has on her own because her father died when she was 12, Mm -hmm. preserving the moments, Mm. the legacy, um, you know, not forgetting. The legacy, not forgetting. We must pass on our family history to our children, help them understand and be proud of the experiences of their ancestors. This will build their confidence and enable them to face challenges as their ancestors did, and they in turn will pass these lessons on to their children. Education, adoption, sharing our history and our legacies with our children. Highlights of the many, many fascinating conversations in Season 2. 
In Season 3, we will continue the parenting conversations with a focus on the issues that interest and inspire you. There is so much to talk about, and we've only just begun. I hope you've enjoyed these podcasts and that they've helped you reflect on how you were parented and how this impacts your parenting. Most of all, I hope that they encourage you to have parenting conversations with your friends and families. Season 3 is in the works and will be launching soon. Until then, take some time to look over the episodes in Season 2 as well as in Season 1 and catch up on any you've missed. And check out the Ground Control Parenting blog for lots more parenting info and advice. And as always, I want to hear from you on Instagram and Facebook at Ground Control Parenting and on LinkedIn under Carol Sutton Lewis. Until then, take care and thanks so much for listening. 